picture I want you to look at first thing this morning. We've been going to Uganda for eight years and you will see faces up here that actually have things and this thing called life figured out so much better than we do. Every time we go to Uganda, we at the end of the day will gather together at whatever hotel we're staying at and we will have reflection time and we'll talk about where did we see God at work in Uganda today? And it's it's interesting. Every single time that I've ever been. And this was true of Mandeville, Jamaica and the Deaf Village that we would worship at and visit with mission trips at Williamson's Chapel too. Every time at the end of the day, people would say, how are they so happy? And, and we would sit there with our cell phones on our Wi-Fi, checking social media and all those kinds of things. And, and we would be talking about all the stuff that we'd miss back home. You know, totally, totally, totally first world problems. And then inevitably, someone always, every day, says, how are they so happy? They have a happiness and a peace that we just can't seem to find. I believe the answer lies in what we're going to talk about this morning, the power of community. You see, there is such a thing, and and Seth Godin, author and businessman, made it popular again a couple of years ago with a book he wrote called Tribes. But they live and do life together in community. Africa is is a tribal nation, and they still exist that way today. A tribe is a group of people that are linked together connected together. A tribe is a group of people that are connected together by two different things, by a leader and by a purpose or an idea. That's what a tribe is. The people in Uganda live in community. That's how they can, you know, not have things like we have and be absolutely, totally happy, way happier than we are. We tend to rely on ourselves to provide everything that we need. We see it actually as a sign of weakness to rely on one another and to need things. But there's beauty in living as a tribal people, and there's beauty living in community. We see that in the scripture lesson this morning as we are continuing to look at what it means to be back to life. The resurrection happened. Jesus appeared in different forms to over 500 people after the resurrection happened. And this morning, we're not going to look at the resurrection per se. We're going to look at what happened with the resuscitation. And remember, those are two different things. Resurrection is bringing back to new life, and resuscitation is bringing back from the dead. Now, this morning, we're going to look at a guy named Peter, and Peter was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. He loved Jesus, and he was also totally human, just like you and me, and he screwed up over and over again. He denied Jesus, and three different times Jesus told him he was going to. He's like, no, 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 I would never do that, and then he did it, and then he cut off a soldier's ear. He 
just, he kept messing up. But the beautiful thing about Peter is Jesus, just in his amazing love, his divine love, he would, he would resurrect Peter in and through all things and gave him this amazing power, the same power that Jesus gives you and me. He says that my power is far greater. Your power is far greater than mine if you just claim it. And so we can. We can be back to life. We can live as a resurrected people, as a different people. But there are some clues and some things we have to do in order to do that. And today we're going to talk about the power of community. So hear this story from the book of Acts. Now in Joppa, and you'll see Joppa, modern-day Jaffa, from our trip in January, there was a disciple, and her name was Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. She was devoted to good works and acts of charity. At that time, she became ill, and she died. When they had washed her, they laid her in a room upstairs. And since Lida was near Joppa, the disciples who heard that Peter was there sent two men to him with the request, Please come to us, Peter, without delay. So Peter got up and went with them. When he arrived, they took him to the room upstairs. And this is the really important, or one of the really important parts about the scripture today. All the widows stood beside him, stood beside Peter, weeping, They were showing him tunics and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter put all of them outside, and then he knelt down and he prayed. He turned to the body and said, Tabitha, get up. And then she opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand, and he helped her up. And then, calling the saints and the widows, he showed her to be alive. This became known throughout Joppa. Many believed in God. Meanwhile, Peter stayed in Joppa for some time. So there's a couple of important things to note from this passage this morning. So we have Peter that Jesus redeemed and was using to continue to carry out the message. And we have people that are living together in community. We read that Dorcas or Tabitha had made clothing and tunics and she was well loved, right? So she is sick and and is dying and they send for Peter. They send two disciples, two male disciples to go get Peter. Peter drops everything, comes back. She's dead. They're up there and they're weeping, They loved her so much. Why did they love her so much? Well, obviously, because she had been pouring into them in community. It wasn't just some random person off the street. These people, they did life together. They loved each other. And they loved her. So they're up there, and their hearts are heavy, and they're so sad. But they believe in something. They believe in the power of life after death, or they would not have sent for Peter to start with. If they didn't believe it, they would have just grieved. But they sent for him, here, come bring bring her back to life. And so he sends them out of the room, and he kneels down, and he prays. And then he uses the very same words that Jesus uses... When Jesus raises Jairus' daughter from the dead, 
if you trace it back to the original Greek, they're the same phrases. He says, he calls on the power of God within him, and he says, get up. She opens her eyes. He gives her his hand. What a beautiful image that is. And then he calls back all the people that love her so much. And they rejoice because she's back to life. The power of community. It starts because she invested in them. They invested in her. They invested in her so much that they were willing to go pursue. Like Peter was a big deal. He was one of Jesus' twelve. They were willing to risk everything to go get him. They didn't care if they bothered him or not. They didn't care if he thought they were stupid. They risked everything because they loved their friends so much. The power of community. So this past week in our local community and across North Carolina and South Carolina, we paid tribute to and memory to a fallen officer, Officer Sheldon. It was all over the news, all over social media. People giving honor and homage. I want to ask, though, like, where will this be in our minds in a few weeks? Will it still be a big deal? Will we still be praying for his family? Will we still think of it as often as we have? Sadly, probably not. Because life will happen. More things will happen. We'll, we'll turn our focus away from that and we'll get focused on other things. We'll start focusing on ourselves and our own needs. It's just human nature. It's interesting, I think, and maybe you'll agree with me, that it just sometimes takes tragedy to unite people in community I mean, we can look throughout history and see that it happens. We can look at 9-11. The Sunday after 9-11, churches across our nation were absolutely packed, and that stayed the case for like six months. And then attendance went back to normal. A few weeks ago, we talked about Notre Dame and how that tragedy provoked people, people that had billions of dollars to start with, you know, start pouring out their money when this tragedy happened and come together as a community to try to resurrect and rebuild something that meant so much to so many. It takes tragedy for some reason to unite us together in community. But what if, what if we lay claim to the promise that if we will do life together as a community and in community, then we will experience the power of the resurrection. We will be like Tabitha or Dorcas friends and we will experience what happens when those that we love come back to life because we love them. And when we love others, when we will truly and unabashedly and selflessly and freely love others, that's when we feel and be loved. And it is such an amazing thing. But we have to give it. We have to do it. We have to be it. And and you can't love alone. We love in community.
There's a lot of symbolism in this story that actually is really, really important. And it goes back to the idea around resuscitation. Jesus was resurrected. New life, new body, new experience, all those kinds of things. But the idea of bringing the dead back to life is not a New Testament, Jesus-only kind of thing. And the writer of Acts, Luke, who wrote Luke and Acts, he's telling this story very, very intentionally. And it's actually a very symbolic story. He wanted the Israelite people, the Hebrew people, that for thousands of years had known that there was some life beyond the here and now. He wanted them to understand, hey, this messianic idea, this messianic promise that you've been holding on to, the Messiah, the one that you've been thinking about and waiting for all these years, it was him. He was here. And he has shown us what it means to have life after death, to have life in death, and to have life endlessly. The Hebrew people, the Jewish people, would have been the the community there in Joppa. And they would have known the stories of their history. They would have known that Elijah raised the widow Nain's son and resuscitated her, calling on the power of God. They would have known that Elisha raised the Shunanite widow's son. They would have known that Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead and Lazarus from the dead. They would have known all those things. And so Luke wants them to know, look, hey, guess what? That promise that we get to lay claim to, it's here. It was Jesus. But there is just a small catch to the story. Like, that's not finished, and you may wish I was finished, but I'm actually not. So, like, there's more to it. If we're going to love, I mean, it's a little more than just the Valentine's Day little heart emoji that we're familiar with. Love Jesus gave this great commandment. Remember, there were like 630 in the Hebrew scriptures, and he's like, and then they tried to trick him up because they wanted, you know, to get him in trouble, and they're like, which is the greatest? And he's like, okay, the greatest is love God, you know, with all of your being, and love your neighbor as yourself. But then something else happened, and, and we tend to glide over this because it pushes us out of our comfort zones just a little too much. Before, when Jesus was in the upper room with his best friends and they were participating in the Passover meal and he was telling them beautiful, beautiful things like, I know where I'm going and I am going to prepare a place for you and and you don't need to be afraid. I'm going to give you an advocate. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. It's going to be with you. But here's the commandment. And he gives a little bit of a new twist to it. He takes the commandment that he had taught and lived so selflessly. And he says, I want you to love each other as I have loved you. And then hours later, he showed what that great love really looked like. And he lived absolutely and died absolutely selflessly. If we're going to love each other, if 
we're going to do life together in community, we have to listen to that teaching of Jesus. We have to do what he said, which is love each other as he loved us. And that means putting each other first. It means looking at each other and trying to see the needs that we have. And even when it's uncomfortable for us, we have to take risk and we have to take steps and, and love each other in community. It means we offer forgiveness even when we don't think we're the ones that need to forgive. A few weeks ago, I was talking to someone, and they were talking about a, a death that they had experienced in their life. And they're like, you know, actually, after the death, I felt so alone. And, and I had people, I had community, but it didn't really make any sense to me. Like, no one reached out to me. After my dad died, I had several folks say to me, you know, I don't know what to say. I want to say to you the right thing, and, and I don't know what to say, so I said nothing. And I get that. I am the queen of putting my foot in my mouth. I say the wrong things clearly sometimes on Sunday in the middle of preaching. Uh, but you know what? There's such love and such beauty in community there is not really a right thing. There's just something. And being present for one another as we walk through this journey and we face our hurdles and our challenges and also life's biggest joys, there is such power and such love that comes from that community. Mother Teresa has a quote. Actually, she has many quotes, but this one relates today. I alone cannot change the world, but I can cast a stone across the waters to create many ripples. Have you ever thrown a stone in the water just to watch the ripples go out? They go endlessly. That's the impact we can have in each other's life if we're willing to take risk and we're willing to do what Jesus did, which is love selflessly. The widows and the disciples, they did that for Dorcas. Interesting fact, Dorcas is the, or Tabitha, is the only woman called a disciple in the New Testament. She must have really had an impact on their lives. When I was five years old, my mama had me in church every single week. She played the piano and the organ for the church, and we were Southern Baptists, so it was Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I mean, if the doors of the church were open, we were there. Sometimes I got so tired of it. One time I locked myself in the trunk so she could not find me because I did not want to go, and that is a true story, I did not want to go to one more church service. But then we got this new preacher. I was five years old, five or six. And he used to talk about this amazing person called Jesus. He wasn't beating us over the head, telling us we were going to burn in hell every Sunday. He just talked about this amazing person that loved people so freely. 
And I wanted to know that person. So in true Southern Baptist fashion, they would have an altar call. And and I went up to Dr. McKinney and I'm like, I want to know him. I want to follow him. And so not long after that, I was baptized. And then a couple of years later, he did the celebration of life service for my mom and then my grandmother. And, you know, uh, he has been a part of my biggest life events for 40 years, 40 plus years, actually. Back in February, when we were celebrating the life of my dad in Lenore, as we were getting ready to go and sit down in the chairs, I look up, and there was Dr. and Mrs. McKinney. He drove from Blacksburg, Virginia. They drove from Blacksburg, Virginia to be there with me. And the other interesting thing about that is he is still Southern Baptist. He follows West religiously, even though there might be a difference in our theology. He poured into me so that then I could have a ripple effect on people. I have no doubt in my mind that every one of you sitting in here today and those of you worshiping online or throughout the week, you have people, you have a Dr. McKinney. You have people that have been around you and kneel by your bedside and love you selflessly. This morning as we close, we're going to do something different. Instead of you standing up and singing, you got a note card when you got here. Now, if you are not handwriting, a handwriting person, feel free to get out your cell phones because the power of text is an amazing thing too. But for our closing, for our act of worship today, I want you to write Write one of your people. Write one of your people that have loved you in that commandment that Jesus called us to live and do. You love me and you love other people as I have loved you. You love other people selflessly. I guarantee you, if we'll think about it, probably you have more than you can count on your hands and on your feet. People that have poured into you endlessly. Mother's Day is a tough day, and it's why we don't do a lot around it here because I believe that everyone, regardless of gender, has the opportunity to pour love like a mother's love into people. I am here today because people poured that love into me. Our kids are here because people have poured their love into them. You are here because you have people that have poured love into you. So today on this day, I want you to take just a minute. And I want you to say thank you. It will make their day. Let us pray. Gracious God, you do show us what it means to love selflessly. It makes us uncomfortable. It's out of our you know, realm of what we want to do sometimes because we're so human and so wrapped up in our own egos and identities. But God, you're so big and your love is so endless and you call us to be together in community. Over the evolution of time, we've messed that up. 
So this morning, I just ask that you lay on each of our hearts someone that we need to say thank you to and someone that we need to remember that is poured into us so beautifully, just like you do. And we thank you for your amazing love. It is so vast and so wonderful and so deep. It is our privilege to do life with you. In Christ's holy name we pray. The power of the resurrection brings life out of darkness, hope out of despair. May we go and may we be a resurrected people. Go in peace.